they're trying to take a family picture of their cropping them out because he's got rainbow bright hair and skittle teeth. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Peter from Canada. Hey, it's your boy, Cinemasochist, coming at you. <laughs> oh, th- that's a sh- Oh, you son of a bitch, you. <laughs> what up, play? It's your boy, E-Money. <laughs> Let's go get that money, boy, that cheddar, that dollar dollar. <laughs> oh, God. Hashtag winning. Oh, I'm getting drive-by douche chills. <laughs> Netflix and douche chill. And you can hear that Cecil is here. I, yes, I am not your boy. None of that has anything to do with tonight's topic. It's That's something I was going off on on Facebook this week, because Peter's a dick. Yeah. If you guys want things that have to do with dicks, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. If you guys are searching for any of the kind of things we talk about on this show, you really need a VPN. It's like a digital condom. If you go to 1201beyond.com backslash drome VPN, you can sign up for NordVPN. You can use it for getting around region locking. They'll encode your data, protect your data. Like I said, this is like a digital condom and you kind of need it. And if you go through our link for $3.49, you'll get 75% off of a three-year plan. That is an amazing rate, and it really helps the show when you sign up for NordVPN through 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN. Now, movies are obviously always made of their time. Even if you're making a period piece set in the 1890s, it's going to be made with the sensibilities of whenever you're making it, say, 2019. But what happens when a movie is made of its time so much that it can never escape that. Like, movies that are just so dated. I'm not talking about, like, how, like, in Class of 1999, these robots are one million megabytes to have these robot teachers, and you go, uh, yeah, I think the calculator on my phone uses more than that, but whatever. I'm not talking about that kind of dated. I'm talking about, like, clueless and stuff like that. Movies that are just so of a very specific time. Of when they were made. I'd have to go with Hackers. Uh, along with its sister, The Net. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, so much in that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But uh Hackers, from the clothing to the language to the way that they were pushing technologies, like this, it was cool, radical, man. You know, and it was just so awesome. I mean, I love it because it really... It is a time capsule of the mid-90s, but it's a time capsule of the mid-90s 
turned up to like a thousand. Like everything is ridiculous. You know, they're rollerblading through the streets and they're outsmarting the FBI and they're cool. And oh, it just, I love it so much, but it's, it is so ridiculously dated. But in, in my opinion, that is what makes it charming. If they tried to be realistic with it, it wouldn't have been as good. But then what about like the net? Because the net did try to be realistic about it, although I don't know where they got their version of the internet because that movie... Actually, I think hackers might actually be more realistic than the net. Well, I think the thing with the net was there was a lot of stuff in there that did ev- is eventually possible, but it just was not possible at the time. So, you know, where they're, they're ordering food from the computer, and, and she basically was living all of her life outside of her house, and that wasn't really feasible back on dial-up internet back at the time. You know, you had full-motion video and all this stuff that just, there was not the bandwidth really capable of doing that stuff back then. You watch it, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, it just, it, it almost seems quaint. This was kind of a big deal when it's like, yeah, all of this stuff kind of has happened. The identity theft, um, I, I thought, um, it, it was, I guess in a way it was kind of ahead of its time, more so than dated. See, I watched it recently. It's dated. It's super, super dated. <laughs> well, I just think it's corny that, it, you know, here you have Sandra Bullock, who's very pretty. She, of course, is the reclusive computer lady who talks to herself all the time while she's using the computer. You know, and she goes to the beach and she's in this bikini and looks stunning. And she's got a laptop on the, the beach and all these, you know, she's reading the, she's reading a novel on her laptop. And, and they're, they're acting like it's, oh my God, this is technology. It's like, yeah, well, at the time, kind of. But I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that parts of it are silly, but parts of it, I think, were ahead of its time. Because a lot of the stuff in there did come to fruition, and some of the things were just ridiculous. The way that she was kind of going around with, the, you know, she had the floppy, and she was going to put the virus, and she had to get to somewhere where they were having a, a conference, and it was, like, so rare that it just so happened that there was a, this conference that she could go to, where now that kind of stuff, again, is, is a lot more common. I mean, I think some of the I think some of the wordage is probably off, but I think that the ideas and the concepts were there. I I wonder, I don't stick up for remakes a lot, but I do wonder if they were able to do that now, if it would work out a little bit better with how much technology has advanced. Didn't we get that with the net, the dead stare or something like that? They made a net sequel. Or am I confusing that with the War Games sequel that nobody wanted? Well, they made the TV show... Ironically enough, less ridiculous. Yeah, the TV show, I think because they had a little more time to kind of push things around, and she was trying to get her identity back, and they had uh, the the girl, was it Brooke Langton, I think? Who, I, th- I think it was Brooke Langton, yeah. Who who really does look a lot like Sandra Bullock. I'm trying to, I know there was the War Games sequel that nobody wanted, but I don't know if they actually ever made a The Net sequel. Yes, I'm 99% sure they actually did make a net sequel, but I might be wrong. Don't get mad, because I know you love this movie, and I honestly, I love it too. I'm pretty sure Cecil does as well. I'm going with Johnny Mnemonic. Yes. Because it kind of is, yeah. Such a, they were so off the mark with what the internet was going to be. And also with what, like, a heavy, um, like a big amount of, of data was. 
Basically, what Johnny Mnemonic is in the movie compared to today is just a little USB stick. Not even like a big portable drive or anything, but like a little $6 USB stick you could buy at Shoppers Drug Mart. And just the idea that the internet was going to be this like virtual reality thing and you got to wear the, the big silver visor and the gloves. I'll crash your fucking whole board from here, man. And it's like, it's so not like that. That it's hilarious. Technically, like just technically, this- technically, it doesn't happen for another three years. That's Internet 2021. So we could still get there. No. Yeah, we we could, you know, we'll get Dolph Lundgren playing um, Space Jesus. Street Preacher. And Street Preacher <laughs> Jesus. And Keanu, really, just given the haircut, he looks about the same. A little more, like cut now i love john mnemonic i think no it's, it's a I great think. movie it's and, oh. and the um the outdated futuristic stuff if anything it kind of adds to the charm of it they were being they were very ambitious with what the future is maybe going to be like and i give them credit for at least sending it quite far into the future like from the the film was made in the mid-ish 90s and is set in the future of 2021 so it's cool that they were ambitious about it it's just they were absolutely wrong about everything that was going to be with with internet with uh with data with all this stuff but it's so fun with what they did with it like it's a movie that is absolutely an outdated 90s science fiction film that like gets every single thing wrong but it's it's also really fun like it's a lot like uh hackers and the net in that regard like sure those those films are super outdated as well but it's like but are they entertaining they absolutely are like they're not it's not like outdated the way every single Polly Shore film is outdated oof yeah well the thing all was- the verbiage in those movies the outfits his like catchphrases like Polly Shore became outdated in the 90s like that <laughs> did not last long and that's I think that's a testament to certain things that are outdated in a bad way and certain things that are outdated in a good way like Johnny Mnemonic that's still like hey it's kind of kind of fun how they predicted what the future was going to be or like with the net or or with hackers and then with Polly Shore it's like oh that was a rough rough time yeah he they they really pushed him i mean how many movies did he come out in the 90s and just god they kept going with that with johnny mnemonic they were really going for the cool factor with Mm. cyberpunk and i think that's what they were going for they went with the kind of futuristic like almost post-apocalyptic dystopic future where everything relied on technology and knowledge and yeah. they were taking a lot from the short story and they really went overboard with it. Uh, I, I don't, and not in a bad way, but I mean, the short story, you know, you only have so much you can pull from. Yeah. So they, they went to a, a ridiculous factor. And if you can see it, the Japanese cut of the film is about 20 minutes longer. It is the better version of the film because, mm-hmm. uh, scenes are in order. There's a different soundtrack. It was the original cut of the film. But then they were like, actually, no, the, I just picked up the German DVD with the commentary. Robert Longo says he doesn't like the Japanese cut either. That's not the original cut of the film. Really? It's, it's, it's just the Japanese distributors cut of the film. He's not happy with any cut of this movie. I always, <laughs> see, I always got the impression that that was the de facto cut of the film because it had more of the street preacher, uh, it made, you know, more made sense Yakuza. of who he was, more of the Yakuza because that was appealing to the Japanese market. It yeah. had a different soundtrack, uh, it, like it was more Mortal violent. Kombat soundtrack? 
Uh, it had a little bit more techno in there. Yeah. But, uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was a little more, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat-ish. More violence in there. That's, uh, that's a shame. That's, uh, I, I always thought that that was the case, but, uh, no, there, for, there uh, is no direct, there, there is no director's cut of that. And, and also the stuff with Street Preacher, he didn't want Dolph Lundgren and he hated that character. Uh, honestly, listening to the commentary. To him, it's the best character. Yeah. Uh, honestly, honestly, listen to the commentary. I lost a lot of respect for the man. He spends the entire commentary bad-mouthing the movie, uh, the production design, how it was shot. He he cannot stand the film, and I'm saying, you know what, Robert Longo, screw you. I love the movie. Uh, what a yutz. And honestly, to anybody that enjoys Johnny Mnemonic that hasn't seen the Japanese cut, I strongly recommend it. I'm with Cecil on this one. I, I do think it's the superior cut of the film. It feels more, it, it doesn't feel quite as silly, I think. It feels a little more serious, and I do think it's cut together better, and I do think the soundtrack is superior as well. What about when a movie accidentally dates itself by put, setting it in the now? Because there's always the, there's always the danger of the now. You know, obviously you want to make a movie for the now. But you also have to be aware that those hairstyles, the lingo, etc., is not going to age well. Like Dawn of the Dead. I think it's an amazing, one of George Romero's best movies. But yeah, to younger people, when you see the zombies with the giant afros, it it sort of wrecks the horror of it, you know? He said <laughs> it when he made it, and that was afros. And it didn't age very well. Hippie zombies. It's the same thing with the Omega Man. Very serious movie. Heston is great, and then the zombies have giant afros. And you just go, oh... <laughs> I mean, you had you had to know this wasn't going to age well. You had to know afros were not going to be a thing ten years from now. Maybe they didn't. Yeah, you maybe, never know they, what's. Yeah. Hell, I didn't think that uh, like mom jeans would make a comeback, but here we are. <laughs> and and twirly mustaches, really. Oh. God, yeah. You know, dude, I when I was still working in Philly, I'm not even kidding. I was walking to the train station one day. There was a dude with a twirly mustache, a tweed suit, riding a unicycle. <laughs> I Like, he apparently was the king of all hipsters. Like, I did not think that these were things that would come back into popularity, but you never know. So who knows uh, the way that things are going to go. So afros and, and, hell, mullets. Yeah, mullets are kind of coming back. There's a, uh, God, I can't remember his name, but there's like a, a pretty booming up uh, comedian that's like rocking a mullet right now. And there's other people that are that are deciding, hey, mullets are cool again. Fanny packs are making a comeback. I see yeah. a person with a fanny pack almost every time I go outside. Some of them are like really like trendy, fancy looking chicks and, and they've got a fanny pack. Yeah, I mean, look at how many uh, how many girls are wearing Uggs now, the, the, the brown, you know, like they and then like, let's say 10 years from now, it's just they're not. It, it's it, I think clothing and hairstyles and all that. It's tough because. Because you don't really know what the future is going to hold, what would yeah. continuing. So for as far as like afros and stuff, eh, it does. It really, I watch it. I mean, that's the the least thing that takes me out of it. When I watch something like that, and I see when they're in uh, Dawn of the Dead, and they're at the mall, and they're like, you know, steak dinner five ninety nine. I'm like, oh my god, what? Like, <laughs> that's I think so the, the only. 
The only truly dated thing about Dawn of the Dead, I'd say, is that and this was a trend more in, like, 60s and 70s horror movies, was that, like, really bright acrylic red paint that they were using for blood. To me, that's that's the only truly dated thing. The outfits are, like, you can't really fault it for that. I mean, it was the 70s. This is how people dress. The only thing I see when I see the zombies dressed like that and the other hairstyles of the other characters is, like, well, this was made in the 70s. So it's, like, how am I, how am I supposed to fault it for that? But I will fault the effects team for that horrific, brightly colored red, red paint blood. Cause it's, it's just so, it kind of takes, it, it takes you out of it. Cause it doesn't look like blood. It just looks like paint. Still a great movie, but it's got paint blood. Romero wanted that specifically. He wanted it to look like a comic book. Mm. So that was l- literally supposed to be comic book blood. He wanted it to sort of look like EC comic-ish, I guess. That red blood was a specific choice. Unfortunately, did not look good. <laughs> Well, what about when you've got trend in movies where history has not been kind to that trend? Like, mm. I, I was rewatching Them and Tarantula, and the fact that there's a woman scientist <laughs> is a plot point. But, but you're a woman! How oh, can, okay. how can that be the scientist? She's a girl! And you're just like, oh god, you know? <laughs> Like the lady scientist, and it's it's surprising that she's a lady scientist. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of movies uh, dating back from the 50s to like the 80s and the 90s, and shit, they're still trying to do it today. Like, isn't like the whole basis of Captain Marvel that narrative? You're a woman, you can't do that. Oh wow, she surprised us and did it. It's 2019. Why are we still doing this? Because they there's some weird disconnect that apparently. All of the progress that has been made in the past however many years is somehow thrown out of the window. Uh, women, uh, men keep saying that women can't do this and are, no. Like, (laughs) women are, and, and they're doing the, the thing where they're, they're, they're typing stupid, like, uh, Women aren't strong protagonists, and it's like, you know, women have never been uh, the leads of movies, and here's this laundry list of fucking women that have been really great, not Mary Sue's, but have been terrific, well-rounded characters in mm. beloved movies that were blockbusters. Like, they were freaking out, This I hate to bring it up, but they were freaking out about how men couldn't handle all-female Ghostbusters, and that's why, oh, bad-mouthed. And then at the same, in the same breath, Wonder Woman goes on and is like, is just huge. Makes, it's like, okay, how come, do you ever think that maybe it's simply a combination of the fact that this was a remake of a beloved property, you were doing it with all women for all the wrong reasons, and nobody wanted to go see it because it looked like a piece of crap? Maybe that's the reason why it did bad. And it's Paul Feig who makes nothing but shit. It so, was if it was uh if it was cast with all men it still would have been garbage it's it's Paul Feig. Chris Hemsworth was in the movie and he was just as painfully unfunny as everybody else in that film. That well that's what you get when over 50% of your script is ad-lib. That's just going to happen. But my actors are so brilliant. They're so funny. I just let them do what they want. And that's that's where you get um Melissa McCarthy I think ranting about dumplings yeah or oh that's gonna leave a mark gonna you know that they're still using that joke <laughs> like no, but it, it's such a that really is a ridiculous trope though and i do always cringe um with any given movie i'm watching where it's like you're a woman and it's like god if you go back even to like 40 50 years ago to 
Betty Davis films to, to films like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and stuff like that. There have been plenty of female protagonists in films that have carried films that have been the standout characters in films. And yet still, throughout the 60s, throughout the 70s, throughout the 80s and 90s, even today with Captain Marvel, like I brought it up, we're still pushing this, oh, but you're a woman, you can't do this. It's almost like they're doing it on purpose to divide people. Because there are movies dating back to the 1940s where women carried the film, were strong, were independent, were funny, were scary, were action-oriented. I mean, hearkening back to whatever happened in Baby Jane. That is a really heavy horror film for its time. Almost basically predicts a lot of what Stephen King would write about as far as misery goes, as far as the misery film. So it's, it's such a stupid trope. And it's not just a trope that was only stupid kind of back then. It's always just been the worst. And it, it definitely bogs the film down because it's it's kind of slapping you in the face and going, huh, I bet you didn't think that girl could do that. And I'm like, ah, I never questioned it. I'm just trying to enjoy the film. F off. Like, it really is one of the dumbest tropes. And it, it certainly does suck in uh in them and uh yeah it's definitely a dated trope and it's it's always been dated it is it has been dated forever captain marvel there's a big fight sequence and they play just a girl like oh, no yeah. doubt oh yes it's, like, it, oh, it's, it's a little uh, a little a little lot on the nose that's yeah, horrific just a bit it's like come it on just, like that was one of the reasons why i liked atomic blonde it was like charlize theron is kicking the shit out of everybody. They never really question it. It's just like, hey, she's out there. She's she is a female agent, and like it, it that never comes up. Like you can't do this. You're a woman. No, she just kind of does all this stuff. She beats the crap out of people, and within the context of the film, it like it completely works, and it's never questioned. And the thing was that kills me was you had all these people that were crying about how uh you know we need more uh, movies with strong female leads, and here is basically for lack of a better description, Jane Wick, and nobody went to see. <laughs> and all these people that were crowing about how we need more movies with strong women, and then they didn't go see that. But then they bitch about how nobody went to see Ghostbusters 2016 because that was the de facto film that they decided to hang their hat on for whatever reason. I, I guess because, uh, I don't even know. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Tarantula and them, it is sad, but unfortunately that being a that is more of a thing of the time but that we sadly haven't been able to get rid of the you know you're a woman you can't do this and in, and in in actuality yeah you can so especially yeah. now i don't know why they keep acting like they can and i don't know why they keep pushing that in movies you know here we are what about when you make a movie for a literal tiny window of time like strange days Strange Days was dated almost instantly. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I watch it every New Year's. That movie is so dated. They knew as soon as they made that, this movie's out of date in two years. <laughs> they were trying to capitalize on the whole fear of Y2K, and I think that the timing of it was was really good because it made sense context of what the story was. I love it too. I love it dearly. It is also one of my favorite movies. I think it's um it's still cool and I think that the technology they did it in a way it works. It doesn't that to me doesn't feel outdated. Yeah, you know, their their vision of how 1999 was going to be was kind of uh, a little outdated, uh, but it was kind of a guessing game, but 
I still think that, uh, it was, it was cool. It was neat. It was an alternative earth where all of this stuff was going on. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's great. I think everybody in the film was terrific. Uh, I just, I love it. Angela Bassett steals the freaking movie, man. Oh, she's when awesome. Did, um, when did this come? Because it's set in 1999. So when, when was 1996. It really? 1996. Oh, yeah, set, yeah. They it was set three it. years into the future. They blew their foot off, yeah. Well, three years into the future, and we're having, like, these insane technology, you know, this virtual reality. <laughs> but, I mean, the concept is great. You're recording mm. a segment of someone's life, and they're selling that, and you can live through their that portion of their life virtually. It's yeah, a really, really neat cool. thing. I think it's, it's a great story. It's it's just it's done really well. It's got shades of the uh, the Rodney King beating. Oh, oh, you could tell this was after Rodney King. The whole thing with Vincent D'Onofrio and, and, the, and the cop is and... so Rodney King. Oh yeah, mm. portion of its time that is portraying a slightly alternate, you know, not too distant future. What about then when a when a movie and in this case it's a documentary, which I, I'm not going to normally would not put on something like this, but a documentary is capturing a super embarrassing point in time. The Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. This documentary is, it's hard to sit through. It's embarrassing. If you were a heavy metal fan, you just go, oh, God, the hair, the attitude, the music, <laughs> everything in this is f***ing cringeworthy. <laughs> Well, the trends keep changing throughout the years. Really different time, and also the the tides were changing, too. That was right around when kind of glam rock was going away, and more of, like, the grungy, heavy thrash metal was kind of coming into play. Like, that was, you know, Pantera was changing at that time. They had just put out power metal. They were getting ready to do Cowboys from Hell. It really changed big time between those two albums. Metallica was becoming like the biggest band ever. So you, you could really, at that point in time in 88 was like the, the shift where it was going less from hair metal and looking all glammy to, to having more of an, I don't give a fuck sort of attitude. So that, that I could definitely see the, uh, uh, the cringe factor in a, in a documentary like that, but also like interesting to see that sort of time capsule of, of how much things really change in, in how, how much tonally Heavy metal has changed throughout the years. Like, you know, you go, you go back to stuff like Black Sabbath, and then you start going into more of the Motley Crue era, and then you start seeing Metallica rising up, and then you start hearing kind of what Danzig was playing, and then Alice in Chains was starting to show up, and Nirvana. So it's like, it's constantly been shifting throughout the years, and, and you never thought it could get any worse than it was at some of those points in the 80s or the 90s. But, you know, then uh, Creed happened, and then New Metal happened, and it's like, you're just, it doesn't matter what era it's in, any time a trend starts to change, you, you run that risk of, of cringe. And I think that's, uh, it, it's really, it's always interesting to go back in time and in, into history and just look at those points and when when things started to change and when the hair started to change and the, the costumes you were wearing on stage and stuff. Like, I've always found that stuff really fascinating fascinating see it as all that embarrassing it's uh, it's just another facet of life it's no more it, embarrassing as as all the people that um went full-on grunge you know and just wore like dirty flannel all the time and didn't bathe and i don't know <laughs> just it, it's trends. just 
It was just something that was there at the time. Go back to yeah. look at disco and the people wore bell bottoms <laughs> and you had white people with afros and like oh it's, God. it's just, uh, it, it's just another thing. Like I look back to how I dressed back then. It's like, eh, whatever. You know, it's, it's something that you, you went through. I'm not particularly embar- embarrassed by it. I look at that and they were talking about, uh, music and I don't know. I'm more like, um, <laughs> I know this is going to be another trend that hopefully goes away soon, but like I'm more embarrassed by proxy than I don't even know what you call them now. The the mumblecore guys that oh, get tattoos, God. tattoos on their face and they get their teeth colored different and they and they have rainbow oh, bright hair and and all that nonsense. Like I'm like that's just like. All right, you went way you just, too far. Uh, when it when it comes to a look like that, you can't just get your hair cut and change your outfit. Those those face tattoos are there to stay. Yeah, that stuff's not going anywhere. You know, you get a tattoo on your arm, your leg, or a sleeve, or, you know, you can wear a shirt. Cover it up. up. But, I mean, so that's the thing. Like, when I was uh, when I was into metal, you know, you wear a metal T-shirt and jeans, and you have long hair. Oh, no, I'm embarrassed by that. No, I'd be way more embarrassed that it, I'm the person in the family that they're trying to take a family picture of. They're cropping them out because he's got rainbow bright hair and skittle teeth. <laughs> And, and tattoos that says, so sleepy on his oh, face. Oh god, I, like, uh, oh god, that, I, that I thought the guy. worst of the, uh, sort of music trends and, and music, uh, people dressing like certain artists and stuff was the earlier 2000s when I was just kind of graduating high school when, uh, there was certain rappers that were really popular. And at that point it was really popular to dress sort of like a rapper of that time, the sort of powder blue tracksuit with the fluffy white hat. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is so fucking bad. I thought that was bad, but no, as, as Cecil said, with the mumble core shit and the face tattoos and the multicolored teeth and God, you can't wash that stuff off, man. You're going too far. You're, you're going too, too far into the abyss. You can't just change your clothes and cut your hair. T and, and these other shapes and that dick that you tattooed on your face. That's there forever. It's such an extreme decision to make because if you get out of that music at any point in time, and a lot of people change their tastes within three, five, ten years, you could be into something completely different. You know, you might go from gangster rap to classical music. Who knows? You might go from pop music to heavy metal. You don't know what you're going to be into in the next couple of years. You might be somebody whose tastes change all the time. Don't get face tattoos. But then what about when a movie gets strangely reassessed to become something from a not from the time it was made but from a different time falling down falling down was a very you know 90s movie it was a very much you know speaking to what was going on in the 90s and the frustrations yeah a lot of like and, class and, division kind of stuff dealing with mental illness just the fru- frustration with the economy stuff like that and yeah i kind of know where you're going with it now they're reassessing it as like an incel movie it's like, uh, but, but well no n- not so much that the fact that it's been claimed by the alt-right as ah, a movie where defense is a hero. He's standing up for white values. But he's he's teaching, he's teaching the, br- I know, but I'm saying this has become an alt-right movie now because the alt-right has literally claimed it as defense is what we should be looking for. We should be looking for people who are willing to stand up to the gang members and the Jews and the blacks and is all this. this. What do you is mean standing like, up to the Jews? He fucking, he knifes a white supremacist. The, the whole thing with the uh, film is in the beginning, you kind of are, you're rooting for him. 
And it's you it's a really get it. you, you get it like he's pushed to the edge. But then the thing is, there's a shift in the movie mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, now he's become like the villain. Like or before, not even it was come. You you start to you spend more time with with his with the wife character, and you find out that he's always been a bit unhinged. Like obviously that marriage didn't didn't go right. He was not necessarily physically abusive, but definitely verbally and and emotionally so. And then you start to realize that even though he does do some things that are pretty righteous in the movie. Honestly, I agree with his rant about golf courses. I agree with with the stuff he did to to the white supremacist. I agree with his like roadwork rant and that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that happens when they're when they're tearing roads apart is so they can justify their budget so they can get the same amount next year. I totally get that. But then you have scenes in the film where he's watching his old like family videos and stuff and then he sees himself being just a complete abusive prick to both his his daughter and to his wife and then and then even he realizes it like he's the bad guy he sees himself as the as the bad guy at some point and you you it, it's it's a great film that like that takes that that shift it has nothing to do with him being a hero to the alt right or or an incel or a MGTOW or whatever. No, he's just a, a man who's crazy. It, it's a film that honestly, in its truest form, it's a man with major mental illness that he's never checked, that he's never, he's never had anything done about it. He's never gone and saw a therapist or anything. He's just let it all stew. And he has that one really bad day. Fucking loses it. Like it's a lot like, like taxi driver. This is just about a guy who's nuts. There are certain moments, yeah, that definitely you kind of agree with him, and it's really well written, and it's it's uh it's something that's still it's a '90s film, and I feel like a lot of it still holds up to the way the economic structure is to this day. There's a lot of people that are frustrated with their jobs, a lot of people that are deemed not economically viable and stuff like that. It's these messages that still hold the film up to standing the test of time, but we're we're diminishing that test of time with these idiots on the alt-right that are claiming it as their film and they're claiming it as oh we're standing up to the jews and so just, just go, go away go go f- you well okay if you're getting that mad then i probably shouldn't tell you they've claimed they live as well they claim they live is right, john carpenter it. showing showing well, the jewish conspiracy for what it is and the jews for the disgusting lizards that they are and john get that can, john carpenter is a liberal John Carpenter has outright said none of that is in there and knock this shit up. The alt-right has claimed they live now, too. Oh, my God. He's flat out. John Carpenter has flat out said that they live was a commentary on, like, Reaganomics. It's yes. anti-conservative, not pro-conservative. Like, Can I just... listen to what the man says. He is an outspoken liberal. He didn't like what Reagan was doing. He was making fun of Reaganomic kind of ideologies and stuff like that. That's what the lizard people were. They were meant to be, uh, a take on like the government and shit like that. On, on conservatives, on, on Republicans, on shit like that. So I really, I, I'm gonna get a gun. What I wanna say, and believe me, I, I fucking f- politics every direction. But my, my thing is, is this really a group of alt-right people or, or is this five people on Twitter said or is this 4chan? That is no, no, this is like uh, this kind of nonsense. Because I have people like the Daily Stormer and and yeah, Gavin McInnes types, Proud Boys, all that stuff. So 
I, Alex I, Jones yeah, types. It, it's not just uh, five people on Twitter. Un- unfortunately, it's it's pretty big, stupid pop. The, the whole they live thing, it's hilarious because, like like we were saying, like when we were interviewing John Carpenter for the for the documentary, uh, he he went off, you know, about how much he despised Reaganomics and how he didn't like that, and that was really what inspired this. And he's in, he's very liberal. He's still very liberal. So it is funny that it would be claimed by by that side. But anymore, honestly, I'm I guess I shouldn't say I'm I'm not surprised by anything anymore because everything is fucking bananas. Like <laughs> le- left is right, up is down. Everybody's lost their mind, and it's yeah. it's just ridiculous. I think in this case though, I do wonder if maybe it's just something where because it got a reaction, it got everybody pissed off. So it may very well just be that they're just they're saying because the thing is just like by claiming something you don't have any kind of ownership over it It didn't change what it is but you got a bunch of bloggers to write about it and you got a bunch of people mad about it so i think in that case it might just be what it boils down to you had a bunch of assholes who wanted to piss a lot of people off so they come out with some ludicrous claim that they've now claimed this movie and they've claimed joker and they've claimed that and it just gets a bunch of people you know a bunch of clickbait articles and gets a bunch of people pissed off and it doesn't in the grand scheme of things it doesn't mean anything what about when a movie is incredibly dated and also so far ahead of its time at the same time we all knew i was going to go here network oh your network is very much a 70s movie it's 70s style the way it's shot it's a very 70s film and it also was just decades ahead of where everything else was it they they nailed reality television they nailed so many aspects of of intrusive uh entertainments incredibly ahead of its time i would say this is another case of where the only thing that is outdated about it is if you go and you look at some of the technology and the clothing uh, you know, but everything the the concept of it is everything about it is was ahead of its time to the point of where it is like that movie exists now yeah, it does. When it comes to network, the weird thing is, and Petty Chayefsky died at, at a point when, when he said, you know, he hadn't seen an actual newscaster killed on the air, which, you know, we've now had. He said that was the only thing that had not come true yet. So he, he wrote this movie as a satire of how bad things could get. And by the time he died, it had all come to fruition. And that, I think, just broke the man, you know? Yeah. But then there's also the other one we got to go to, Videodrome. Videodrome's all about beta tapes and analog technology. You tell me it's also not about the internet. I mean, mean, maybe not the, maybe not the, um, what's it called? The interface? Dark web or? Well, no, the, the, the way of, the way the interface works, but aside from that, I mean, it's, uh. Well, okay, we don't have vaginas in our chests. Well, that's, but... that's what I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> the, the, the biomechanical, I couldn't think of the word. The biomechanical aspect of it, alright, that's not, uh, really there, but, uh, everything else is pretty much on. But so, what happens when you get a movie like that? Because the movie is incredibly dated technologically, the lingo, the way they talk, the way they look, all of the, like I said, most of this movie is about beta tapes, which even people who grew up in the VHS era are still relatively unfamiliar with beta. I, I remember, I, I actually had people asking me sometimes, what is that, that tape he's got? Um, it's a beta tape? Mm. Huh? So it's very much a 1983 movie. At the same time, 
it was decades ahead of where anything else was. Yeah. Well, it, it predicted a lot of stuff that, um, like, it, it's not necessarily, now it's more kind of the internet and stumbling on real death kind of stuff. Stuff that you, you, you might find on accident. Uh, obviously there, there's people that, have like killed themselves on social media that have gone on like shooting sprees and filmed it and stuff like that. Like the, I've always felt the whole idea behind at least culturally with radio drums being like so desensitized. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we do the show too much. The whole idea with the video drum, at least culturally, is like this fear of becoming so desensitized that you can't even tell the difference between uh, real violence and movie violence anymore. And I think that is becoming a genuine fear nowadays, especially with that guy who streamed the uh, the shooting of the Christchurch. Like that's like something that would happen in like a dystopian '80s sort of horror science fiction film. Like that kind of that kind of fear mongering. Like it's scary stuff. Even in a movie that's so outdated technologically, this is stuff that we're, like, worrying about now in the age of the Internet. Well, it even goes to, like, Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers, it didn't predict reality TV because it had technically existed up to that point. You tell me that's not an unintentional satire of reality TV, which wasn't what we would think of. Because when we think of reality TV, we think of Jersey Shore and the real world and all this kind of garbage. Yeah. But Natural Born Killers was an indictment of reality TV, which didn't even really exist yet. Didn't Oliver Stone say he had a feeling that this is where they were going, where because of shows like A Current Affair and all that, they were glorifying serial killers, and we, it was eventually going to go in that direction, where killers were going to become celebrities, and that was really why he was going in that direction. Mm-hmm. So I think that he was the one that had the... You know, Tarantino wrote the script. Oliver Stone had the concept of making it go in that direction where Mickey and Mallory were, they were really the bad guys. The entertainment industry made them the the heroes. They were yeah. still bad guys, you know? They're like sort of sensationalist uh, journalism and stuff like that. Yeah, they like, they, you know, they, they loved them because they brought them ratings. Do you think there's a danger making a movie for the now? Or should you, when you make a movie... Should you be looking for how is this going to age? Because like I said, at the very beginning, I brought up Clueless. You look at Clueless and you just say they were making this for teenage girls right now. They had no desire to go, this movie is not going to age well in five years. But then you look at something like Alien. Other than some of the computer technology, that movie is almost timeless. It is. You could, it, you, you alien, like could, you could, uh, you feel like it could exist in really any future. And it, I think it's, uh, that's owed to how like kind of dirty and grimy and, and lived in everything looks like it, it feels like more of a, of a realistic future than something that, that than uh, something that's all like glitzy and perfect and everything. Like you, you feel like if it's going to be a distant future, a distant lived in future, it, it should start, it should start to look lived in. You know, these are just, um, and the job, the profession is something that, that would happen if we developed intergalactic travel and stuff like that. Um, you'd have space truckers. You'd have people hauling freight through space just like they do over the interstate. But then look at, like, aliens. This is even more into the future than alien, and they have analog video technology. <laughs> Ooh, missed that one a little bit, James. Just a bit, just a bit. I think if they want to make a movie that takes place now, and is very much about what is going on in the world today. 
That is their, that is, that is completely up to the filmmaker. If they want to make something that will reflect on what the future is going to be, if they're trying to use technology that maybe doesn't exist yet, they have the chance of maybe going completely in the wrong direction. So I'm like, for me, it's a little bit easier to see something like with aliens where it's like, okay, it's analog. Eh, that's something that existed. Whereas they'll have some kind of ridiculous thing that just uh, is completely off the mark where that kind of might take you out of a movie in the future where it's like we you know we still don't have that now that it's entirely up to the filmmaker and i don't really think that most times dated movies don't bother me it might take me out of the movie for a minute or two but with something like clueless eh, that was how it was at the time so fine you know that's that's the way that they talk that's the way that they acted okay good I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't really think they needed to think that far ahead into the future for a movie about a bunch of, a bunch of girls in the valley. I, I'm, th- I'm thinking about something like also a lot of movies, especially studio films, they'll have some flavor of the month in the movie that instantly dates, like in Spider-Man, Macy Gray. Yes, yeah, Sony, Macy Gray was really going to be one of those decades out artists, right? Or does that immediately go, oh, God, that is so 2001. <laughs> well, that, that I will say, that it doesn't ruin the film. It does take you out of the film. for. It took me out of the film when I saw it back in 2001 or 2002 or whenever because it's just like, oh, Macy Gray. You know, like that's not going to age well. And I think what it was, if I'm not mistaken, Macy Gray was a Sony artist. So mm. they were really trying to push her by putting them, you know, putting her in their, their huge movie. I don't know, like, there's certain bands, like, if you put Aerosmith in your band now, it's like, okay, Aerosmith's kind of a timeless band. But somebody like Macy Gray, who I think hadn't really proven herself, like, she was still relatively new at the time. And so that, I think, really did kind of take you out of it. Didn't mm-hmm. ruin it, it just kind of made you chuckle for a minute. Like I said, this is usually a big budget thing. Some flavor of the month, whether it's a musician or all of a sudden you'll see some hot new actor and they're in a dozen movies in one year and then they're never heard from again. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that aged well, didn't it? Well, Every there was movie a- with, uh, with Josh Hartnett and it feels weird. Cause that guy really vanished. There was an actress, Julia Ormond, who I don't have a problem with, but she she was going to be the next big thing, and she was in everything, and they all all of her movies flopped, and then uh, she kind of went away. So she still has like a good career, but in the nineties they had like a couple of like she, she did like Legends of the Fall, First Night, Sabrina, and it was like these are all big, large budget films that they pushed hard, and none of them did well. It was really, really you know pushing for her to be like the next big thing and it did not work i audiences just for whatever reason just didn't like her and Mm -hmm. uh or maybe they just weren't the best movies i you know but in but i've seen that happen where an actor will come out and they will push them hard and then just movie after movie after like okay dane cook they were trying to make a thing like how many Dane Cook movies came out where they were like, he's going to be the next big actor because he's the big comedian guy, and none of them did well. <laughs> no, they were horrible. They, they do that with action movie guys. There was this small window in the mid-90s where they were like, no, Dennis Rodman's the next action star. Remember that with, like, <laughs> Simon Says and all that? Yeah. And it was Says like, wow. <laughs> Simon Says... It's terrible, but it is hilarious. And actually, if I am not mistaken, Dane Cook is in that. He's one of the the him and John Panette. They the or no 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 John Panette Tech, and Techno Monks or something. Yeah, they're the they're the Techno Monks. John Panette and Ricky <laughs> Harris 
are the techno monks. And then Dane Cook is like, I think his, his like slick talking connection to the underworld or so. I, it, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember I was laughing hysterically throughout the entire film. But, but you know what I'm talking about, how there was that window where somebody, some executive decided Dennis Rodman is our next action star. <laughs> and the public just went, no, he's not. They pushed yeah, they... him hard. Yeah. I remember that time. He was, he was showing up everywhere in, in, in Van Damme movies. He was showing up in like wrestling and nobody bought it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody really liked him as far as that went. Like as far as like seeing him in movies, it's like, he just didn't have that, uh, that it factor, but someone really wanted him. Well, he was so, you know, he was wacky. He was the nineties guy with the, with the different colored hair and he had all the tattoos and he was such an oddball. And they, they, at the time they thought they could market that. Yeah. And it worked out to the fact that, eh, you really couldn't. Like I don't have a beef with him. I actually like his, the movies that he's been in. He does a good job of playing the weirdo, tattooed, uh, <laughs> basketball-headed guy. Hell, he's, he's Zach in uh, DOA Extreme Beach Volleyball, for crying out loud. Like, as far as having any kind of enduring legacy as far as going into that, it, it really does exist mostly in the 90s. I can't see that progressing anywhere beyond that, where you'd be like, yeah, you know what, I want to watch that action movie with, with Dennis Rodman in it. I mean, um, there's actors that they were pushing that I really wish would have taken off. Like, I feel like Brian Bosworth deserved to become a bigger name. But oh, he unfortunately God, yeah. just didn't make it. He would have been great. And Stone Ray, Cold? He, he, he made, yeah, but he made like four, four bombs in a row. Yeah. He was never going to. Well, no, the people thing, are stupid. It's not so much that he, like, weren't they all, like, they were direct to video, though. I mean, yeah. Stone Cold was really the only one that went, like, they went all in on Stone Cold. And I love Stone Cold. Even but, Lance Henriksen loves Stone Cold. He, even Lance, he exactly. He considers that to be like his best character. But didn't didn't he have another theatrical like Fire Brand or oh, something where he was like a like that. Yeah. Fire Down Below? No, was, no, it that wasn't was the, the, the that was the Seagal one. Uh. No, the, the, there, there was someone where where he was like a firefighter and was this big. Oh, well, that had uh, that that had uh, God. That was uh, what's his name? Who was the other guy? Who was in that because he was in Stone Cold. He was. He was the bad guy in that, but William Forsythe was in it. Unless I'm thinking of a different actor, and that maybe that maybe that wasn't a Bosworth film. Maybe no, it, I'm almost positive it was because I remember there was the Never Ever Drop Your Pulaski Out of a Tree. All right, Firestorm was Firestorm was Howie. Clint Eastwood. Oh, that was Howie Long, not oh, okay. Brian Bosworth. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So yeah, Bosworth. Okay. I, okay. Well, we both remembered it being Brian Bosworth, though. Strangely. <laughs> But it was also like way later, like Stone Cold was 91, Firestorm was 98. So yeah, he, he did that and then he did a TV, okay, so Brian Bosworth, he did that and then like five years later did a TV movie and then did One Tough Bastard. So pretty much everything after that was like directed video. So he just, they, they went all in with him for Stone Cold and it just didn't happen. It's a shame he was great. He's so charismatic. Like, it's, it's, seriously, it's one of my all-time favorite action movies. Same. That's one I revisit, like, quite, quite often. Anytime I'm, like, bored and I, I don't know what to watch, I'll just put on Stone Cold. God, that's funny, though, because oh, Scott Glenn was in Firestorm. Oh, God, um, I'm looking at the cover for Firestorm, and I can see how you would have mistaken Howie for, for Bosworth, because on the cover, he looks a bit like Bosworth. He does. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that. Well, that's another thing too. God, we could probably do that. You know, what was it football players that they tried to make? Or actually, I could say you could stretch it further. Just sports, athletes in general. Yeah, athletes, sports stars that they tried to make action heroes. What What should you do for a movie? What is the best thing? Make it for the now or make it forever? What What is the best choice when you're trying to make a movie? I think nowadays they're a little bit wiser about this you don't see zombies in a zombie movie with current hairstyles and things like that so much that yeah that styles in 10 years when you look back at this it's going to look like an afro in a romero movie should you even be aware of this when you're making a movie now or should you just make it for now i think just make the movie for yourself make the movie you want to make well, then, guys, we really appreciate uh, the help if you use the Nord code or if you use the Adam and Eve codes, but where can people find the Peter? You can find me, of course, on Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook the Cinemasochist, YouTube the Cinemasochist, 1201beyond.com, of course, with other fine programming, and at Patreon at Cinematica, and I have a new video out. Go check it out. It is uh, on the decline of middle-class filmmaking. Cecil can be found where? I can be found at Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com and goodbadflicks.com, but I really need to update my website. Well, and you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Practically every one of the top 40 records being played on every radio station in the United States is a communication to the children to take a trip, to cop out, to groove. The psychedelic jackets on the record album have their own hidden symbols and messages as well as all the lyrics of all the top rock songs. And they all sing the same refrain. It's fun to take a trip. Put acid in your veins.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.